You know, we're in the season of Lent. It's a season of Jesus going into the wilderness. And I never really thought about this before, but in the flesh, this is the first that we see Jesus uh, fasting and, you know, his flesh. And I, I, I believe it was probably a new experience for him in the flesh. And uh, he's in the wilderness and he's fasting with no food, no water. And as he comes to a close of 40 days, you know, you feel kind of weak after three days. And as he comes to the end of 40 days without water, he, the Bible says he's hungered. And he's at his lowest place in the flesh, and then he's tempted. And that's what the devil tries to do to us. Bring us to a low place, bombard us with trials and temptations, bring us to a place where we want to, we're so tired, we give in. And that's why Jesus talks so much about, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Because it's when the devil tempts us that we enter into temptation. So today we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about our praying Savior. Just going to pick out the scriptures where he prays so that we can see that he is an example of prayer. Somebody said, you talk about prayer a lot in your church and they they kneel in the altars and they do these kinds of things. That's because his house is a house of prayer. But his house has become anything but that. I said, his house is not being the house of prayer that it needs to be in the earth. And without prayer, prayer is communication with him. Prayer is not just a repetition, a repetitious thing that we do because we're born again. Prayer is communicating with the Lord. I, I, even as I have studied this, I've been so inspired to see that Jesus chose special places to pray. You know, when he was tired from casting out devils and when he was exhausted from ministering day and night, he finds different places to pray. And I think that we need to be able to say, I have a spot where I pray. You know, and when I'm discouraged or tormented or uh, tired, I can go to this place and be alone with God and commune with him. Jesus was a praying man. I don't know whenever we have really focused on him as a prayer warrior, but he truly was. The first time that we see him praying is when he's in preparation for ministry. Jesus comes in to, out down the road to John the Baptist, and he's going to be baptized in water. And the Bible says that when John began to baptize him, he's praying. This is the first thing that we see him praying. Now, I'm sure as, as he grew up, he was about his father's business, so I'm sure that he had a prayer life. But the first time that we see him audibly praying is at his water baptism. And then he is not only praying to the Father, but the Scripture says in Luke 3.22 that the Holy Ghost descends 
So he's baptized in water and he's filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. He's a praying Savior. He doesn't just believe that since he's the Son of God and he's the Savior of the world that he doesn't need to pray. He totally communes with his Father on a regular basis. Now, we know that Jesus prayed for the sick. We know that he cast out devils. But we also know that he sought a quiet place to pray. In Luke, the fifth chapter and the 15th verse, Jesus has now become popular. How many know that when you're popular, it seems to diminish who you are? We can see that with our young people who become famous. They come and they sing and, they, and they're, you know, whatever that place is, the songs of the idols or whatever. And they sing and they're so, they're so sweet and they're so fresh and they sing their heart out. You know, now they have jets and they're doing all sorts of things and they're in trouble with the law because it changed them. If we don't communicate with the Lord Jesus, the world will attempt to change us. What a revelation. We need those moments of quiet with our Savior. And Jesus is the example of those moments. So in Luke 5.15, now they've heard of him. They know that he can do miracles. And he has become popular with the people and they're following him. They're chasing after him. But he remains the same. How does he remain the same? Look at this passage of scripture. Jesus' fame went abroad. Great multitudes came after him to hear him. And he healed them from their infirmities. And verse 16 then says, what did Jesus do? He withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. The way that he did not conform to the world is because he communicated with the Father. And I want to say this to the church today, to myself and to the church, that if we would truly communicate with the Father, we would not be sidewinded by the things of the world. The scripture says that Jesus must have known. I mean, I'm saying Jesus must have known, but the scripture proves it out that when they followed him and he became popular, he knew he must draw himself aside out of it and that he must communicate with his father. It says he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. I don't know about you, but I don't like the wilderness. He withdrew himself apart. He got alone. You know, we don't like to be alone, really. Some people say, I do. But, you know, when we are, we don't want to be. And he had to draw himself away because, you know, if he stayed with the disciples, what would they do? They would still be praising him. So he had to draw himself away and get in quiet peace by himself so that he and the Father could communicate and he could keep focused on who he was, that he was the son of God. And there was things that was required of him as the son of God. And Mark, the first chapter and the 32nd verse, it says at evening time, when the sun set, Jesus brought, they brought unto Jesus all that were diseased and possessed of devils. And all the city gathered together at the door. 
Can you even imagine that? All the city hammering at the door. And the Bible says in the 34th verse, And Jesus healed many that were sick of diseases, and he cast out many devils. How many know that he in the flesh would be tired? And when you're tired, you have to seek a quiet place with the Lord. Because when you're tired, the enemy knows your resistance is down and he will tempt you. So the Bible says in the 35th verse, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into what? A solitary place. And there he prayed. So we find that he goes to the wilderness to pray. He goes to a solitary place to pray. And in chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, Jesus heals a withered hand. Jesus is in the temple and the Pharisees are watching. And they're hoping to find a reason to accuse Jesus. And it's the Sabbath. And Jesus knows that they're waiting to find a reason to accuse him of something. You can read this all in this passage of Scripture. And they're waiting to see what Jesus is going to do on the Sabbath. Well, of course, he's going to heal. And so in the 10th verse, he talks to the man with the withered hand. He says, stretch it forth, stand forth. He didn't hide it. He said, stand up, stand forth. The man with the withered hand stood up and Jesus healed his hand. His hand was made ever with whole. Bible says in the 10th verse that his hand was restored whole as the other. And guess what? They were filled with madness. The Pharisees that looked on, the church leaders were filled with madness. And they talked with one another what they might do to Jesus. Verse 12 says, it came to pass then that Jesus did what? He went to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. When we're persecuted, when we're talked about, when we're uh, bitterly used, what do we do? Well, first of all, we fuss. I'm just talking about myself. We fuss. Sometimes we want to know to the Lord why it's me. And sometimes we want to remind him that we just got out of a situation and we want peace. I I suppose maybe you could give me some help in this area, how we handle this. You know, Jesus knew they wanted to kill him. Jesus knew that they were speaking against him. And the Bible says that he went to the mountain to pray. And look, he prayed all night. Sometimes it takes more than God is good, God is great, thank you for this food, amen. I may know what I'm saying. God is looking for our attention. And Jesus knows this and he gives the Father attention. He prays all night to the Father. He's a praying Savior. Um, Jesus is teaching us to pray. Prayer is almost gone out of Christianity today because sometimes we as leaders are, are more intent on preaching and teaching and doing whatever we do 
instead of saying, let's just pray. I wonder what would happen in the house if some Sunday we just stood up and said, today, for the next 30 minutes, we're just going to pray. Let's just pray. Does the church know how to pray? Pray. Well, what shall we pray? We're going to talk about what Jesus tells us to pray about. And there's supernatural prayer. There was a supernatural prayer that Jesus prayed. It's found in Luke, the ninth chapter, 28th verse. He takes Peter, James, and John. He takes his disciples with him. And, and the Bible says that they go up to the mountain to pray. You know, I think it's wonderful that Jesus had specific places that he went to pray. He, he wanted to be alone with the Father. He had reason to do this. He went up. Sometimes we need to go up to pray. And he went up to the mountain, the scripture says, to pray. And as Jesus prayed, you can read that there, his countenance changes. His countenance is altered. His raiment becomes bright. It's a supernatural happening in the midst of his prayer. Now, everybody, you know, we think, well, that's Jesus. You know, so, yes, that, those supernatural things can happen because that's Jesus. How many know he lives in us? How many know that we can have a supernatural time if we would dare to take time to pray? If we would take time to pray in his presence, just, just come before his presence. I don't know that Jesus was saying anything, but he was in depth of communication with the Father. Sometimes we just need to bow in his presence and say, I need you, Jesus. I, I'm listening for you. And sit quietly and wait for him to come to us. There are supernatural times that he will visit us in our prayer life. And Jesus is having this moment and the disciples are there and they're supposed to be praying, but I don't know if they're sleeping or paying attention. Sometimes I don't know if my saints are listening or sleeping or cleaning their nails or what they're doing behind the seat that I can't see. I'm bad. Me bad. But... All of a sudden, there's a supernatural happening. And Moses and Elijah, I mean, can you even imagine this? They appear to Jesus. And the disciples are seeing this, but they're not too sure what's going on. And there's a thundering when God speaks. And God speaks to Jesus. Moses and Elijah are talking about Jesus' death. I don't think there's any place that we see Jesus more in the flesh than at this moment. Because in his heart, his prayer had to have summoned the supernatural visitors to discuss his death. Why? Because Jesus in the flesh had never died. Jesus was suffering like you and I. He was tempted like you and I. He, he was feeling and sensing things in his flesh that called for a supernatural awareness of God to come to him. 
How many know that you have suffered things like that? That you needed God to touch you. You needed a supernatural awareness that when you communicated with God, that he was going to help you. That he was going to keep you from doing something devastating. Or he was going to walk with you in the midst of a trial of devastation. Supernatural prayers, church. They don't happen when you're praying really quick on the way to work and saying, God, help me today. I can't stand this guy that works beside me, but help me. Those, those are prayers. They're not communication. To communicate, you have to be in presence with the Lord alone, and you have to be focused on Him. How many know it's hard to focus? If I preached for an hour and a half, I'd probably lose you. You know, it's hard to focus. I probably would lose my way. It's hard to focus. Do you know that? It's very hard to focus. And God is calling for us to come to him in prayer and focus on Jesus. That we might have a revelation of who he is. Jesus prayed alone. He, lots of times we see him take the disciples with him. But even then, he separates himself from them. And Jesus prayed alone in Matthew fourteen twenty three. The multitudes again were praising him. And they were following him. And they were desiring things of him. And Jesus must have had a sensation in his flesh. I need to get away from this. And this passage of Scripture says he sends the multitudes away. And he goes again to the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the Bible says that Jesus was alone. He was focused on his Father. You know, he was praying in depth. Church, we need to have a focused prayer life. We need to have a place where we go that we have hallowed. And this is our solitary place. And we're going to go there and we're going to wait on him until we feel the supernatural presence of Christ come upon us. You say, is that possible? It's possible. Jesus was in the flesh. He might have been the son of God, but he was in the flesh. But his flesh waited. To hear from the Father. In the wilderness, he was tempted. We are all tempted. We're no different than him. He overcome the temptations to tell us and to show us that we can overcome the temptations. Jesus prayed life-giving prayers. You might not ever think of yourself as praying a life-giving prayer. But... When you know there's a need in someone's life and you pray for them, you might be the one that interceded and touched the throne of God for them. Jesus prayed life-giving prayers. You know this. In John 11, he came to the tomb of Lazarus. And, and before he got there, he met up with uh, Mary or Martha, one of the women. And they started to talk to him. It was Mary, I'm pretty sure. And she said, Jesus, if you'd have been here. And look at this. This is awesome. Because Jesus spoke words of faith to her. 
How many know Jesus was still in the flesh? He was still alive. He hadn't died. And what did he say to Mary? I am the resurrection and life. Had Jesus ever died? No. He had never experienced death. But there was a faith in his heart that God had called him. I hope that you hear me today if you have a calling of God on your life. Jesus knew that he was called to be our salvation. So there was a faith in his heart. If you're called to be a witness, and you're all called because if you're born again, he said, go you out and be a witness. So we need to know that our calling is there and have faith that if we are to be a witness, when we go to work today, he's going to help us to be a witness. Jesus said to Mary, I'm the resurrection in the life. No wonder she didn't understand. She had no understanding. Her, her brother was dead. She loved her brother. And if Jesus would have been there, she knew that he could perform a miracle. Little did she know that she could pray and she could call forth the power of resurrection into that body. And Jesus said to her, well, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. And she, and she still continued to fear. Because when they got to the tomb, he said, well, take away the stone. And Mary said, oh, Lord, he stinketh. Even after he said he was the resurrection and the life. It's pretty awesome. Jesus' prayer at the tomb of Lazarus says he lifted up his eyes. And he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. He already believed that the Father heard him. Do you know that when you go before the Father, he has already heard your heart? He already knows what you're coming for. But he wants to hear it from you. He wants your focus to be in trust and faith on him. And he says, I know that thou hast heard me. I know that thou heareth me always. Do we have that strength in our prayer life that we know that he heareth us always? what Jesus said. And then if you notice that passage of scripture, it says that he prayed this out loud and he didn't do it because he, he needed to impress the father. He did it because the people needed to hear it. This is what we need in our pulpits across the land. We need in our pulpits confessions of who Christ is. We need in our pulpits of what he has done what he is doing, and what he is going to do. We need in our pulpits the Christ, the resurrected Lord. We need to understand and to know who he is and how powerful he is, that he is our resurrection. He is our eternal life. This is not the end. This sickness, it doesn't matter. It is not the end because he is our resurrection. So we need to hear that. We need to hear it in the church. Our little children need to hear us pray. Our grandchildren need to hear us talk about Jesus. My grandkids come. I start talking to them about Jesus. And if they have that little haze in their eyes, I go, come, let's sit down. Because you know what? Parents are busy working. 
not excusing them. But if we love Jesus, we need to be explaining him to everyone that comes in our path. Jesus prayed this out loud that people would see that he believed in the Father. The Bible says that when he had spoken this, he cried with a loud voice. It wasn't a quiet, sincere prayer. It was with a loud voice. And he cried with a loud voice and he said, Lazarus, come forth. That prayer brought life after death. Jesus prayed in the garden. Took his disciples to the garden to pray. Everybody knows how that went down. He left him out there and he went to pray. And we've read this every year at the Good Friday service. Three times. Three times he warned them. Three times he went to them. Three times he said, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Then he went back to pray. And he came again. They were, was they tempted with sin? No, they was tempted to sleep. How many know if you really get down to pray, you're tempted to sleep? You're tempted to answer the phone. You're tempted to answer that, answer that little tweak that knows you've got an email. That's why we need a solitary place. When you go to the solitary place, shut the phone off, leave your iPad, leave your iPhone, go stripped to the solitary place, stripped of the things of this world, the elements of this world, and go there to communicate. I tell this story, and I've probably told it before, but you know I'm old. I can repeat. There was this evangelist that prayed that God would visit him. This is real. This is true. These guys know Gary Lakey. He prayed that God would visit him. Oh, for weeks he prayed that God would visit him. And so he was away in the motel room one night and he prayed and he was in that solitary place, that lone place, and he was praying for God to visit him. You know, and all of a sudden there was a supernatural visitation and he jumped out of bed and got under the bed. When you have a a visitation from the Lord, it brings the fear of God into you. And this is missing in Christianity today, a fear of God. A fear of the holiness of God. Because if God comes into your life in a supernatural way, something's got to fall off. You know, so... We're talking about our Savior being a praying Savior. That's how we have salvation today, because our Savior is a prayer warrior. Because he sought God. Because he spent time alone with his Father. Now, it was a different experience for him. Because in the throne room, he sat next to God, and he knew God in a supernatural, uh, holy way. But now he's in the flesh. He's got the rudiments of flesh, which how many know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? And he knew that his flesh was not perfect, even though he had overcome temptation. So he came into the presence of God to keep down the wrong spirits, to keep down the wrong attitudes, 
to keep down the things of the world that were pressing him. If you have a whole city uh, come after you, you're liable to feel a little vain and powerful. I want to say this in love that in our church world today, we have leaders that feel more powerful than God. Because they are dictating and ruling the church and ruling people when we are to be ruled by Jesus Christ. We thank God for our leaders. We thank God for pastors and priests and rabbis. We thank God for leaders. But unless they point us to the truth, they are not to make decisions for us. We're supposed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But what has happened is people in the world have not worked out their own salvation and they look to leadership to do it. And leadership is powerful. God wants to be the leader of your life. Jesus Christ wants to be who you look unto. He's the author and the finisher of everything that pertains to you. Saints, we have a praying Savior. He prays for you. That's what the scripture says. The Bible says that he, in Luke 11, he was with his disciples. They were praying. It says that Jesus was praying. I'm, I'm sure, that again, they were just watching. Maybe they needed to pick their fingernails or something. But they couldn't focus. Do you know this is true? They, they couldn't focus. They was with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the healer, the savior, the baptizer, the deliverer from death. And they couldn't keep focus because of their flesh. And Jesus was praying. It doesn't say they were. It says Jesus was praying. And finally he finished. And so then they said to him, this is wise. Lord, teach us to pray. Oh, I bet Jesus' heart just leaped. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, each disciple saw it in a different way. There's about three different prayers. And they call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really just the model. The Lord's Prayer is John 17. But they said, teach us to pray. And this is the one that I love the most, which we never do. It's not the famous one, but it should be. And it's in Luke 11th chapter. And it said, Jesus said unto them, verse 2, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, as in earth. Give us day by day. That means you must pray every day. Give us day by day our daily bread. And what? Forgive us our sins. That's why society likes to say trespasses, debts. But Jesus said, forgive us our sins. That's what the scripture says. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus repeated it over and over and over. We need to pray that we are not led into temptation. Jesus prays personally. You know, he prays for the every the scope of everything at large. He prays for the sick. He delivers those that are oppressed. 
prays at large and he prays personally and alone. Who can forget the moment that he prayed personally for Peter? <laughs> you know, when he said, Peter, I've prayed for you. He, he prayed for Peter. The same way that he prayed for Peter, he prays for you. You could put your name in that. Jesus said, I pray for you. You know, he said, that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen thy brethren. What is happening in Christianity today is their faith fails them. When they hit a rough spot in the road, they give up. They, they give out. They whine. Instead of saying, okay, lead me not into temptation. Let me not be tempted to whine. Just try that, church. I tried it, and at the end of it, I whined. You know what I'm saying? We said, I said, Lord, please don't lead, lead me not into temptation. But, you know, I really want to eat this chocolate brownie. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's our flesh. We have to conquer our flesh. It's not an easy thing, church, but God will empower us to do that. Jesus' prayer that he prays for us is found in John 17. And I just want to encourage you because time is short here this morning. But in your devotions this week, read John 17. He prays for you. You can put your name right in there. He says, I don't pray for the world. I don't pray for them out there. I pray for these that thou hast given me. How many of how many of you are his and been given to him? So he prays for you. He said, I pray for those that thou hast given me, those that have come through the, the blood of Jesus and are born again and filled with the Spirit and love God and are saved. Jesus is praying for us. Scripture says that he prays for us. He says, I pray for them. I don't pray for the world, but for those that you, I, you have given to me. And then he says, I pray for them because, notice the last part of this, I am glorified in heaven. This is powerful, church. If you don't get anything else today, please hear this. Jesus is glorified through your Christian life. Jesus is glorified through your life, through how you live for Jesus. Now, what does glorified mean? It means that if we live an overcoming life and we live in forgiveness, we bring delight and joy and honor to Jesus. And if we bring delight and joy and honor to Jesus, then he is glorified before his father. He doesn't want to be glorified because he healed the sick. He wants to be glorified because his father, father, followers obey him. Because his followers live a life that he has portrayed in front of them. We can glorify Jesus, which brings honor to him from his father. Can you even comprehend that, church? Now, glorified means something else. It means that he's a mediator. If you go to court, you need a mediator, right? 
You need someone to plead your case. If you've ever been in court, if you had a car accident, you need somebody to say, oh, I saw that. You need a witness. You need someone to plead your case. That's who Jesus is. He pleads our case before the Father. We, we make mistakes, church. We have failings. We do things we shouldn't, and we don't always get away from temptation. But he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we will call upon him. And he mediates before the Father. His blood is not stale. His blood is on the altar, and he mediates for us, and God sees us through his blood. Then we glorify him when we praise him and honor him and seek to live like him. Then we glorify Jesus, and the Father says, Well done, son, and pats him on the back, and the, uh, the son is glorified by the Father because of our life. We don't think about that, church. What we think about is what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and we do it. And sometimes we lose that glorification, and we need to realize that our life glorifies Jesus before the Father. Well, our time is running short this morning, but I want to tell you quickly, I'll give you the reference You may not have time to go there. But Jesus teaches us how to pray and what to pray. Matthew 9, 38. Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. This is a prayer that we should pray every day. Father, send forth laborers to reap the harvest. Matthew 6, 6. This is important, and I think this is Jesus telling us to find that solitary place. Because he says, when you pray, you know, enter into the closet. Shut the door. Leave the electrics out. Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father in secret will reward thee. Mark thirteen thirty two. Jesus says, of that day and hour knoweth no man, not even the angels, not even Jesus, just the Father. But what does he say? Verse 33, take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. That's something that we as leaders need to preach about. That the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus is upon us. And Jesus said, watch and pray that, that you're ready. Watch and pray it's because you don't know when he's coming. No one knows. Mark 9, 28. If you come across the foul spirit, how many ever come across a foul spirit? If you come against a foul spirit, Jesus said, this kind comes forth only by what? Prayer and fasting. Do you think that's a prayer on the way to work that will bring that foul spirit out? That short prayer on the way to work will only make that foul spirit that works with you worse. I'm serious. That comes by fasting and prayer. If you overcome a foul spirit. Now, somebody said, well, you know, I don't really deal with possessed people. Sometimes we get a foul spirit ourselves. 
And we need to fast and pray that God will change us. Jesus had power over the devil. If he lives in us, he gives us power. Matthew 26, 53. Jesus said, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. Jesus could have come down off the cross. They harassed him and said, Come down off here. You're this God. You did this. Come down. We're tempted to come down, church. We're tempted to leave our holiness for just a moment in a moment of temptation. And Jesus could have called a legion of angels, but he didn't. And why didn't he? Because he wanted to show us that we can overcome in the flesh. Jesus loved God's house. The Bible says that he was with them in the temple daily. All you have to do is come every Sunday morning for these three hours. But Jesus was in the temple every day with them. And he said, this is my house and it shall be called a house of prayer. And he, he didn't just go like, hey, guys, this is a house of prayer. No, he got out the whip. Turned over all the things that was in the temple that didn't belong there. And said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The house is holy. I don't know what he thinks about the bookstores and the coffee shops and the t-shirt things and all that in the lobbies. I don't know what he thinks about that. But I know that his sanctuary is holy. And his sanctuary is not the place of those things. His sanctuary is a house of prayer. And I think it's strange that he calls it a house of prayer. It's not a house of preaching. It's not a house of teaching. That above all things, it's a house of prayer. We must have prayer. We must have communication. We must have it where two or three are gathered together. And we must have it alone in a solitary place. I love it when Jesus said, Men ought to pray and not faint. You know, you know what that means? It means, you know, when this comes upon you, you you don't say, Lord, I don't have the money for this tax. I can't do this. That's fainting. You know, that's not like the little goat that faints when you speak to it. You're not going to fall over. But inside, there's a stress of fainting because something is, is challenging your faith. I want to tell the church this today. We need our faith challenged so that we can grow in the faith of God and the fruit of His Spirit and pray when there's no one else to talk to. You can go to Him. Now, in, clu- in conclusion this morning, church, the Bible says that He's still praying at this very moment. Romans eight thirty four says it's Christ that is risen. And he's at the right hand of God. And he maketh intercession for us.
I love it when you read the scripture when it says he maketh intercession. Just put it, make it personal. Say Jesus. Jesus maketh intercession for us. He stands before the Father and intercedes for our failures. That's how we can stand right before God is because he is between us and the Father. Bible says he is able to save to the uttermost those that come to God by Jesus, seeing he ever maketh intercession for us. Intercession means he pleads for our position before his Father. He mediates. Mediate means a constant invitation to settle differences. Mediate means a constant invitation to settle differences. When you sin, how many know you're different than the righteousness of Christ? And you need someone to mediate for you. And Jesus stands before the Father and he pleads for your innocence. And through the blood of Jesus... You are cleansed because our Savior is a prayer warrior. And this house shall be called a house of prayer. Let us pray. Father, we worship you today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you pray for us. Oh, God, inspire us with your prayer life that we might be more constant in our prayer life we might seek the solitary place and and stay for a moment in the quiet and loneliness and hear your voice thank you for our tithes and our offerings and our gifts thank you for who you are we give you praise in Jesus name we ask it amen